0: From HerbMentor.com, this is HerbMentor Radio. You are listening to HerbMentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is David Hoffman. David is author of 17 herbal books on herbs and natural healing, including Holistic Herbal, a safe, practical guide to making and using herbal remedies, and the Herbal Handbook, a user's guide to medical herbalism. David is a medical herbalist for traditional medicinals, is on the core faculty of the California School of Herbal Studies. He's on the advisory board of the American Botanical Council and a founding member and past president of the American Herbalist Guild. And David is also active in the environmental and peace movements. And... uh, you even uh, ran on the Green Party ticket for Parliament that I read. <laughs> yeah,
1: in in eighty three, before anyone had heard of the Green Party.
0: That's very progressive. There. So you yeah. can you can read a lot of articles by David, and lots of them at um, at healthy dot net. Uh, welcome, David.
1: Well, well, thank you for inviting me and Thank you for the good work you're all doing.
0: Oh, thanks so much. And and is is are do you have um another website or I just found the articles on healthy dot net.
1: No, I I have. I mean, for years I've been teaching classes on how to use the internet for herbalists, how to do research, and I've just made this decision in my life. I I don't want to be out there as a as a face and a name too much. So um, my stuff is all over the herbal components of the web, but um, I don't have a webpage. Good for you.
0: <laughs> it's a lot easier. Yeah, oh, right. Son.
1: I think it's up to people like you. <laughs> oh,
0: great. Oh, well, I'm happy to oblige. <laughs> so I was uh, telling you earlier uh, before we started the call that um, your your book, New Holistic Herbal, uh, was the very first book that I purchased. So, uh, it was, um, you know, it's quite an honor here to be uh, to be to be talking with you. It's such a such a great book, and uh, well, thank you. Is, is that now? Then it seems like you came out with holistic herbal after the new holistic herbal. Is that true? Um,
1: no, the other way around. Oh, okay. It's just, remember, they they came out in in England first. Oh. Okay. So what, by the time they got over here, it all got really confused because um, it was just that. The middle eighties uh, was the beginning of publishing companies buying other publishing companies. Mm-hmm. So um, that book went through three different publishers, not because the book made the publishers go bankrupt, but because they kept buying each other out. So they they kept relaunching it with slightly different names, which really pissed me off. But um, you know, I'm just the author; I have no say in these things.
0: So, uh... so the new
1: holistic herbal is is. The slightly updated version of the holistic herbal.
0: So that's the one to get if you're out there and looking for. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Okay. But
1: if um, I've I've written a textbook for practitioners, which and, and students, which is, um, uh, one of the core textbooks at the naturopathic schools now. It's called Medical Herbalism, mm-hmm. which um, really is a practitioner level book, whereas the holistic herbal is is for real herbalists now i've got to be very careful how i say this um there is a difference between being a herb lover and using herbs in your life as a core issue which makes you a real herbalist and then being a practitioner which doesn't necessarily mean you're a herbalist you could be a phytotherapist and this might be something we'd want to talk about okay but there there is a difference between the two so um I, I really don't think that having lots of degrees and, and knowing the chemistry of plants makes you a better herbalist, might make you a better practitioner.
0: That's good. Thank you for that, Claire, because that's really on, on Herbmentor, you know, what it's about. I mean, you know, I think the majority of us are people with families who uh, might have a little herb garden or go out and, and pick some things and, and, and turn them into home remedies for the common ailments.
1: Which is um, one of the major contributions that the herb world is making to our culture, and more importantly, in the next few years when the oil runs out and when you know the breakdown really starts hitting hard, um, it's going to be the local community herbalist who's going to be the heart and soul of healthcare because there aren't going to be any pharmaceuticals. Um, most of those come from petrochemical. And you know we can't afford those in the near future. So, the the, the basic herbal skills, which um, were lost in the fifties and sixties, it sort of went out of of the collective memory. Um, they 're back and they 're back because of what I call the real herbalist, the you know the person in the family who knows how to make a poultice or knows which herbs are really useful in colds and flu that information's going to be maybe not life saving but but life affirming in the next few years and we need to spread our skills as widely as possible because of that um, what the practitioners are doing in in Bringing traditional herbal medicine into the context of 21st century medicine is really important, and I personally am very committed to that. But it's almost moving away from herbalism. It's moving away from the green heart of the plant and our our relationship with that green heart into almost commodifying the herbs into standardized um, predictably affected substances that pharmacists and doctors feel comfortable with. And even though we can do that, and I do that a lot, I wonder sometimes whether we might be selling out a bit doing that. Mm. Is, that is that sounding coherent?
0: Yes, totally, I, totally. Yeah. And um, um, is that how you got, when you started um, working with herbs, is this something that you did when you were a, a much, you, you know, like from a, from a, from a childhood or uh, oh no, childhood? no no no
1: no um you know my father was a photographer mm. um uh, I, I he was the beatles photographer of all things so, really um i i grew up in a very different world you know i was on tour with the beatles and all all that weirdness from the 60s well i think um, this
0: interview needs to take a dip we're going to talk about the oh beta. no 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 no! no, no. <laughs> just kidding. I, I won't go there
1: just okay there. just kidding but, um you know there there was nothing green in my upbringing mm. uh, my um I lived in London right. um, I I was you know doing science at school mm-hmm. not not botany I was just just on this path I actually was thinking I was going to be a plastics chemist of all things um and then flower power hit in 1967 it totally changed my life and um by the time I finished university in '73, I, a whole bunch of things changed in my head, and I realized the revolution had to happen one way or another. It didn't take the form I thought it was going to. But I realized that we had to get back to nature. We had to allow that embrace back into Western civilization. Otherwise, we were dead. Um, it's still a big issue. We need to do that. We need to do it. Very, very definitely. But in in the process of that filtering through into my head through the craziness of of the late 60s and early 70s, um, I found that that my scientist in the back of my head was suddenly a herbalist in the back of my head. Mm. Totally surreal. I had no expectation or no aim to go in that direction. And my, my heart connection I just discovered with plants married with my my chem- training in chemistry and, and that sort of scientific analytical thinking. So I know about how to be embraced by a plant and think about its alkaloid-canon interactions at the same time, which usually people are either one or the other of those extremes. Um, I I can luckily do both. But I I actually feel transformed and blessed by herbs getting me in the 70s. It was, you know, if I can become a herbalist with my background, anybody can. It, it, It wasn't from my parents, it wasn't from my culture, it wasn't from my education, it was from the herbs getting me. Um, there's a the wonderful word that Hildegard of Bingen came up with. Mm-hmm. Um you familiar with Hildegard? Yes. Yeah, all right. All right. Um, the word was beriditas, and I better spell it because of my accent. It's B-I-R-I-D-I-T-A-S, and it, she totally made the word up but it means the healing power of the divine in green things mm-hmm. and that's what got me I, I, I was touched by that um, it didn't mean that therefore I had to become a herbal practitioner just because of you know, my, my scientific orientation that's what happened but to me herbalism And the gift of herbalism is the experience of the embrace of nature. Mm. What we then do with that is a reflection of our personality. But that embrace is real. It can be felt. It can be very traumatic, but it's also very transforming. You know, telling, telling my parents in the middle seventies that, oh wow, I'm going to become a herbalist. They thought I'd lost it completely. Um, it's not a normal career path. Um but when I'm I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this will have will have had equivalent experiences when when you get that connection with the plant, um it never leaves and it will give you a really hard time if you don't listen to it. So um I dropped out, became a herbalist, made all sorts of really bad career choices, Mm -hmm. leading to the fact that I don't feel I've ever had a career. I've had a vocation, Mm -hmm. or avocation, whatever the word would be, Um, and thank God for the Davis. Now I find in situations where I'm talking to um, people with the right letters after their names who consider themselves to be either herbal practitioners, phycotherapists or, or scientific governmental experts on herbs, it's sad. They just don't get it. They're, they just see the herbs as organic drug delivery systems. And if you do that, it, it it's like just spitting in the face of nature. So where, as beginning beginner herbalists these days, it, it it's really easy to slip into seeing herbs for diseases or herbs as sources of the important constituent. And, yes, you can do that, but it's, it, it really cripples the perspe- perception of the herb that you then have. The chemistry is important. The disease treatments are totally important, but that isn't herbalism. That's just a very small part of
0: it. So um, when you talk about holistic herbalism um how then can people because okay so you're saying that it's easy for people to slip into uh looking at herbs through that you know through the way of like the symptoms and the and the chemistry um then for a person who is starting out um you know what kind of foundation should one yeah. develop and how did they do that to become a holistic herbalist? Yeah.
1: Um all right. I, let me just back up one okay. step. Um I really didn't mean to invalidate the symptom herb thing or the disease herb thing. It's really important information. It's just partial. And um if you have that partial information you can do a lot, but you're not a herbalist. Mm. And herbalists who get the big picture and, and you know can hear and feel the davids, if they don't know the details, then even though they're really good herbalists, they're not going to be good practitioners. So if a herbalist wants to become a practitioner, you have to pay your dues. If a practitioner wants to broaden what they're doing so that they get the vision of herbalism, that's a different process. There you just have to throw all the information away and go and hug trees for a year, <laughs> if you see what I mean. But getting back to your 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 question here, I, I think the first thing is to find some model of holistic perceiving that feels right for you. So if you're drawn to medicine and you want to be holistic treating the whole of the person seeing more than just the symptoms there are a bunch of um, no sorry not bunch there there are a range of choices of explanatory models which really help basically reprogram the brain so that we start thinking and perceiving holistically there's Chinese medicine there's um, Ayurvedic medicine but neither of those are paths that I took. Um, there is Western, in herbalism, eclectic medicine, physiomedical me- medicine, there are solid wonderful systems which came out of, of the Western worldview which enable us to perceive the human being as a whole thing, not just a bag of symptoms. But in perceiving the whole person, there are Ways in which you can interpret that in terms of what herbs may help them. And it's initially not simple. It's initially quite complex stuff. But there are a number of, of teachers of Western herbalism in this country which are really um, what's the word I'm looking for they're, they're blazing the way in, in, into 21st century Western holistic medicine. Mm-hmm. There is no 20th century Western holistic medicine. Um, we need to create a model, and the model is—I can feel it in the air—but no one's written the book yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may be one of the people listening to this who writes the book. But um, when students get frustrated with, you know, Western anatomy and physiology and Western herbalism not being holistic enough, from when they listen to their, their TCM friends, TCM is traditional Chinese medicine, everything sounds incredibly holistic in in what they do. That's because, partially because of the language they use, and Western medicine doesn't use that language. Um, I don't think Chinese medicine is more holistic than Western medicine. It's that practitioners are trained to perceive more holistically. And what what we need to do in in training herbalists and training especially training nat- naturopaths, we need to be more holistic in the way we perceive the world, not simply in the way we interpret symptoms. Hmm. So you know the whole thing about physician heal thyself. Um, you can't be holistic with a patient unless your personal worldview and life has gone through the changes so that you can be holistic. And transform your conditioning and your education and your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And it, it's asking a lot, but I think we have to ask it. Mm-hmm. We, we have to expect that from practitioners. At the moment, one of the things that's really pressing my buttons, um, I'm, I'm in California and I'm hearing a lot of green marketing, you know, changing consumption patterns to green consumption patterns. It really pisses me off because you can't save the planet by buying something even if it's green if you're buying it you're part of the commercial system etc 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 we need to question everything we're doing and reframe our our questions our answers our opinions our treatment protocols our lifestyle choices in terms of an ecologically viable stance in the world and um I can't give you easy one-liners on that. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's challenging stuff. Um, if, in purely herbal terms, if you look at the writings of, for example, Michael Moore, it's one example of someone who's doing what I consider to be holistic herbalism. You can't really turn to Michael's writings and say, "All right, irritable bowel syndrome. What herb am I going to use?" It's much more in depth, um, and Holistic, sometimes very irritating, but why? Why not? Um, All of the the good Western writers demand more of their readers than just doing what the writer says. The reader has to think and has to re-perceive what's going on.
0: Uh
1: So... I could just run like this for hours, but I'm not right, going right,
0: to. Right, right, right. So um, then, on that, let's say, um, since you were just talking about that, um, what you're saying about, say, if someone has irritable bowel syndrome and they're yeah. looking for people to go, you know, beyond that, let's talk about an example here because there were various people who did um, members on Herb Mentor who wrote in questions. For example. Um wondering if you've seen cases where IBA uh IBS, um, rosacea allergies, um, or had related symptoms and what possible protocols all the way right. to uh um, someone who about Meniere's disease to um, looking for another one here uh suffered from chronic pain from herniated cervical discs and and has depression issues well, but, and, you know let's so, go so, with so the idea. okay it's what i 'm just kidding like are you talking about like you know that, that approach these people have yeah. a similar type of story where it 's like i 've got this chronic thing, and I know that I want to treat naturally, but i don 't know how, or a lot of times it 's like i 've tried this herbal tincture and it didn 't work, and it 's like so what 's the approach you know what is yeah. this? yeah.
1: All right, that that raises all sorts of questions. Okay. So, um, let's use IVF as as the um, the condition to compare and contrast different approaches. Mm-hmm. But before that, you just said you quoted this person. Um, I have tried all sorts of natural approaches. Now, immediately, what do we mean by natural? Mm-hmm. Um, because as far as I'm concerned, it's something appears in the body of the planet. It's natural. The only thing that isn't natural, as far as I'm concerned, is plutonium Uh, and and other isotopes that the planet can't deal with. Because if we say that technology makes something unnatural, then you can't have a tincture. You can't have a bottle. You can't have a cup of tea. How how does the heat Mm -hmm. arrive Do you see what I'm getting at? Yes, yes. So it's not so much simplistic things about natural versus prescription drug, because actually 60% of current prescription drugs still derive one way or another from plants. Even, Even if they're now made from petroleum, the inside came from a plant. What What is important to me is not um, which particular marketplace it comes from, either the natural or the pharmacy. It's more, is the protocol being used one that is going to be affirming to life or one that is specifically symptom-specific? So there are some situations where I think, I've got it back up, in the Hippocratic Oath, which I said the equivalent of when I graduated, the first or second line is first do no harm, Mm -hmm. right? I think that sometimes the alleviation of symptomatic discomfort is something we essentially have to do because the pain, the symptom, whatever it is, might be doing harm. So I wouldn't personally ever go to a practitioner who told me they did not treat symptoms, Mm -hmm. Now that's my personal choice, um, because you know why should people suffer? I want to alleviate suffering. Right. My my personal commitment is not to herbalism as a practitioner, but to the alleviation of suffering as a practitioner. Right. Um, so, but on the whole, the the prescription approach to alleviating symptoms can often be more problematic than the disease causing the symptom. So, you know, I want to avoid that. So if we use irritable bowel syndrome, which is what's called a functional problem as opposed to an organic problem, the the herniated disc is an organic problem. It is physically there. You can see it. There's a rip or a herniation or something. In irritable bowel syndrome, um, you might find inflammation if you look carefully, but nothing's broken, nothing's missing, nothing's organically, physically wrong, there's no indication for surgery, no, none of that stuff. And that makes it very appropriate to be treated and alleviated with um, with herbal approaches. Now, herbal approaches are going to include nutrition, has to. Um, I don't personally don't see a difference between a medicinal plant and um, a culinary edible plant. The only difference usually is one of taste. So, um, IBS you can do purely nutritionally, though it's hard work. Nutrition plus herbs—it's very simple, very straightforward. Usually, Um, oh, one last thing about that: when I say nutritional, I mean food. I don't mean supplement. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm really not a supplement person. So, let's think about the IBS. If if you looked um, in some of the phytotherapy books, the the books that um, are using herbs in the context of mainstream medicine do a search on IBS you'll find peppermint oil and maybe one or two other things that's the epitome to me of what we shouldn't be doing that is looking for a specific herb in this case a herbal product the peppermint oil in an enteric coated capsule which is one that doesn't dissolve till it gets past the stomach mm-hmm. so that you've got bioavailable peppermint oil where you need it and you get good symptomatic control. Much safer than the drugs that are used for the same thing within the system, but that's not really holistic herbalism. That's green organic drug delivery systems. What I would do, well, there are a number of ways. You need to put the, the person's disease name in a context. That context... It needs to take into account the person's body type, the person's lifestyle, the person's diet, um, and that will often give you a good grasp of how to approach this. The IBS has not come out of nowhere. It's uh, a manifestation of, uh, using old language, this ease Something isn't happy somewhere. Now that can be psychological, it can be nutritional and everything in between. So by looking at the person sorry, let me rephrase that, looking at the person first, um and ignore the IBS, you, you get major insights from what their psychology is like, what their lifestyle is like. Some people's some people are, are living lives that it it's amazing they've only got IBS. You know, our, our culture expects us to live in such an insane way. Right. So that that's first step. Then there needs to be some coherent interpretation of the symptom picture. You don't ignore the symptom picture. The symptom picture is the um, the clothing of the disease, which is asking us to interpret it. So in in sort of eclectic medical terms, um, you do a, a detailed analysis of what's going on, um, what swings they have between the different different extremes. Are they cramping? Are they having very loose stools? What are the issues in between? What triggers the swings? Um, well, etc., etc. And then the insights that come from that sort of analysis, you combine those with ready access to the Eclectic Materia Medicus and some of the more modern writings from people like Michael, people like myself Uh, Paul Bergner for example is doing wonderful stuff on this Um, though I'm not sure he's got a book out on this but his website is just amazing for this stuff Um, it's possible to find herbs that fit the pictures that fit the patterns that you've been recognizing Mm -hmm. and um, they may not be IBS herbs. It's not the point. You're not treating the IBS. You're treating the person. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that, that should be, have been a two-week intensive class right, to right. explain that. But the other way of doing it, you could do pulse diagnosis and work through a Chinese model of the interpretation of the signs and symptoms. Or you could use an Ayurvedic model. The point is there are lots of models. And the first stage for us Western herbalists, I think, is to let go of needing to be acceptable to the local MD, having to have everything fit that sort of worldview, because that worldview has got major problems to it. So it won't necessarily be a herb for a symptom or a herb for IBS. There are herbal approaches to the dis-ease so we can move it back to ease so the functional problem goes away.
0: Okay. And, and uh, so somebody is there – so if someone is um, – I, I, I think if someone has some experience working with herbs – um. Then they can navigate their way uh, through using some books like yours and others to to come to that, or or or, or based on their experience and because they have feelings and relationships with herbs. A lot
1: better to have a teacher. It really right. is because this is the Even in TCM, you you really need teachers um, because it, what sounds like, I mean, in the book I've. Done my best to articulate that model quite coherently, but it, it people don't fit models and herbs don't fit models. The, the model, the algorithm of how you go about it, is a guide, but you need experience to guide you through the guide. So um, people really need to make the most of of teachers. And, so um, it, and okay, yeah. Well, in. 20, 30 years ago, there weren't, there were hardly any. There were three or four left from the old days. And, um, I, I've been here 24 years now, and I, I'm just so impressed with how North American herbalism has not just been reborn, uh, but created anew, not the old stuff come back. The old stuff came back and then flowered into something new. Mm-hmm. So we have, um, Susan, we type traditional herbalism. We have cutting-edge... Um, medical herbalism as is going on in the Thai Sophia School. Do you, do you know the place I mean? Yeah, Sophia in, in, in Maryland.
0: Maryland. They do five element acupuncture, which is actually what I am. I'm a five element acupuncturist. Yeah, but they,
1: they also do the sort of herbalism I'm talking about.
0: Right, exactly. There's, um, yeah. there's, um, But that's
1: not the only place it's... you need to go to do it. So, okay. um, there's Rosemary Glantz Star folk herbalism, which I think all Western herbalism, herbalists need to be at home in that stuff before they get clever. Because mm-hmm. clever herbalism is always weaker than traditional herbalism. Oh. I, I just pissed off most of my friends <laughs> by saying that. <laughs> but unless we have that, that kitchen sink knowing about herbs in us, anything we try and get clever with, we miss the point. We end up blowing it the way the researchers keep blowing it when they're looking at herbs
0: because the because the kitchen sink herbalism has uh, because it has nourishment and home at yeah. the core,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly, which then the next step on that um, towards medi- the medical herbalism is there is a complete understanding, even though you can't define it, of the concept of a tonic. Mm -hmm. and you go into Western medicine there is no concept of the tonic Um, they use the word but there it's used to talk about muscle tone and it means something very different Mm. and the heart and soul of all the the competent systems that I've looked at from different places of the world they all have at their heart um, the understanding that certain herbs are nurturing tonic specifics for certain organs or certain Um, body systems or even certain tissue types and you build your prescription with the herbs for the disease if you're going to use them around a heart of the nurturing herbs for the place in the body that needs the support which is going to be the site of the pathology if if there is one but also the site of impact of the pathology and then insights which come from the body type and and medical and medical history of the person and and their family. So tonics and toning um, is our core strength. And that's the one part of of what we're now offering to mainstream medicine that they're totally rejecting because in their paradigm that doesn't exist. So you can't do double blinds because they can't conceive of what a tonic is. Uh Aha, I see. You know, the the actual experimental procedures of of controlling variables and all the statistics and stuff is dependent on large numbers of people being seen as being the same and averageable. And I don't think you can do that. Mm -hmm. You need to find the food that's right for that person. So you can't do statistically valid experimentation on tonics because you're never going to find... 200 people who were, are going to respond the way we want to the same tonic. It's going to be different.
0: Mm-hmm. And does that have to do with the fact that people have different relationships with different herbs? Is there?
1: Oh, I don't know. I think that's part of it, but I think also it's a genetic issue. Okay. Um, you know, because we, we, even though I'm talking, I've been talking about veridicus and all of that. We're based on DNA. They're based on the plants are based based on DNA. And I totally embrace evolution as a reality. One of the reasons, if I can get that logical here, one of the reasons plants work as therapeutic substances is that we've all evolved together within the context of an ecological priority that moves environments towards stability, which in human terms means health. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes total sense to me that herbs and food and human bodies fit and do it the right way and we're going to be as healthy as we can be. That doesn't mean diseaseless, but as healthy as we can normally be most of the time. Um, So there are genetic issues, there are biochemical issues, and there are consciousness issues, and there are heart connection issues. Something I think all herbalists have found is is that eventually they find who their herbal allies are, um, who their friends are as herbs. Now, I remember talking to Rosemary Gladstar about this a while ago. I use SkullCap a lot for all sorts of different things in different ways. She uses um, MotherWord in a very equivalent way. Now, I use MotherWord and she uses SkullCap, but what it really comes down to is that MotherWord is one of her allies and skullcap's one of mine, Mm -hmm. which might mean that my patients get a better outcome from SkullCap because I trust it. Do you, you see what I'm getting at yes, here? Yes, yes. And th- this is not supposed to happen. You can't do double blinds on that sort of variability, but I think all herbalists have experienced this. Um, does it come down to what sort of mood the herb's in? Mm-hmm. You know, Does the herb actually like the person you're giving it to? I mean, this is really weird stuff we're moving into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel these days comfortable about moving into those sorts of areas of strangeness because I feel at home with the science. I'm not rejecting the science to move into herbal ally stuff. I think science is an amazing tool for herbalists. You, you, you just yeah, you, you know, just so don't buy the belief
0: system. So someone actually there's, there's, just asked this question, sorry. was that she's passionate about science, but some of her scientific friends are very hostile to her. Uh, like Yeah, in some kind
1: the, of... that's so- got nothing to do with science. That's right. the belief system. Any of the listeners here who've gone through science education, and, you know, I went through it for a very long time, um, if you really carefully analyze what you went through, Yes, there's all the factual stuff, and then there's the context within which it's taught, and we were all conditioned into a Cartesian worldview that is not necessary for science. It's just one of the philosophical belief systems. Um, Newton was an alchemist. He wrote more books on alchemy than he did on gravity. So it's only today that we're, we're really beaten up at school and at university into assuming that science and that scientific, wonderful perspective on the world means um, you've got to be rigidly materialistic. And no, that's not a given. It's just, you just don't get government grants if you're not rigidly materialistic. You can still be a scientist. Mm-hmm. So I, I really support and affirm any herbalist who really wants to know about the pharmacodynamics of flavonoids in the central nervous system wonderful stuff as a part of the picture the problem with the, the science world view they assume that there aren't any other parts of the picture and there are so skullcap contains flavonoids which interact with the um, with the GABA receptors which opens up the whole world of pharmacodynamics and what you can do and what you can't do and where it works and where it doesn't but none of that Explains why Skullcap and I really like each other. It's got nothing to do with GABA receptors, it's a heart connection. Um, And I think all practitioners, after a while, it may take quite a few years, but eventually they get, usually the person's healing inner, the patient's healing heart is intuitively letting the practitioners intuition know what herbs are needed and for me to get that point i had to get my mind thinking about how to come up with an algorithm for protocol development which i've done but the real function of that was to get my mind to shut up so i could intuit Mm
0: -hmm.
1: not then throwing the science away but then after i would got something intuitively then assess it Scientifically or technically, to make sure I, I heard right. Because if, if you just purely trust whatever your intuition says, if you have an in, inner voice, make sure you know the difference between bayberry, barberry, and burberry. Right. I said those fast on purpose, <laughs> you know, because you, you won't always hear it right. right. Um, but I think we need to, need to trust this. And don't expect affirmation from your science friends. Or from your medical friends, or from your parents, for the. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, if you're into science, don't expect affirmation from your herbal friends who might think that you're selling out. A really weird situation.
0: Oh, yeah, I think that it um it goes it, it, it can fit in beautifully. Uh, um, he, there's um a, a series we've been doing on um on honor benter called the village herbalist. With uh, mm. have you ever met um, Heather Neon Flesch Dare from uh, Mrs. Thompson's in uh, Eugene, Oregon? And she no. does just a beautiful job of kitchen herbal and herbalism while teaching. You know, while just rattling off. All of the science um, yeah. and, and constituents behind it, and it's uh, it's it's, po- it's poetry really. When she's that's
1: the way it needs to be done. On the other hand, I just need to a mm-hmm. uh, word of warning: herbalists who don't know the science, who rejected it all the way through school, and they just don't have that world view. It's best not to dabble. Because it's really easy to mess up. Let me just give you a little story. Um, we often do opening circle meditations at at herb school. And one of our teachers in in a while ago, she didn't teach scientific herbalism, but was leading us really good meditation and we were, you know, touching into the cycling of the air and, you know, oxygen comes from the plants. And and then she said, and visualize you're breathing out carbon monoxide instead of carbon dioxide, <laughs> and most people didn't get it. But the few people in the circle who knew that immediately, we just lost it. Our attention went. So if you don't know the science, you don't need it. I mean, don't bring it in until you know it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you make mistakes, mm-hmm. and that's the best way to um, lose your science friends. You know overwhelm them with your herbal knowledge, but don't try and get it into their language if you don't know their language. Good point. Because they'll win, if you see what I mean. I do. Not not, not that it's a fight, but, you know, they'll just make fun of you. (laughs) I've been there. Yeah,
0: I I think I have as well. But you know, it it was amazing for me, though. Even though I may not bring it up in conversation or whatever, when I, after taking a three-year apprenticeship in in folk herbalism, uh, when I started acupuncture school. Uh, I had to do all these science classes, and I was first, I was like, God, this block, like, oh, no, science classes and all because I had to do it for my prerequisites. But as I got into it, I just found, like, I had this new interest, like, I was soaking it up, and all of a sudden, I... Herbs were, instead of herbs were coming in left and right, I'm like, oh I see, you know, and, you know, believe it or not, I can, you know, look at, uh, New Holistic Herbal the first time and I was looking through, cause it's sea talking. you go through herbs and different body systems and, mm. and everything, and, and when I take the class I'm like, oh that's what a lymphatic system is. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> the, the trouble with, with science education is that most people doing it are really boring teachers.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's so easy to burn out. But it, it, once you get the connection, it does illuminate so much stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, – so then I want to then – you know, because it's 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 it seems like you know because we have such an intellectual scientific culture that you can find this information. Um, you know, you can read books and find out. But you said first and foremost, backing up to the natural world and nature. Because um, I told you earlier, I was in, in a wilderness awareness school about twenty yeah. years, where we teach people how to reconnect to the natural world through various native skills. And, um you say that uh many ills of our culture stem from our senses of separation from the earth um, hmm. and herbal medicine can also be part of a personal and even social transformation yeah. so um I'm going yeah. to get into that a little bit because then well, if let somebody... me give you a, a story <laughs>
1: there's a specific story that gave me that insight hmm. um. I was one of the places I was in practice was um, industrial South Wales, uh, where where the industrial revolution started, God, four hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. If you want to see pollution, you go there. There are whole mountainsides where nothing will grow on. Um, And I was treating a man who must have been in his middle forties. He seemed ancient at the time, but you know that was a long time ago. Um, Who had uh, bronch, not bronchitis, emphysema. Uh, from working in the mines really strong Celtic body but he'd go up four steps and he'd be breathless because his lungs were ruined um, Herbally it's relatively straightforward to get a certain amount of um, of breathing capacity back, you can't cure it but you can control it and with, cutting a whole long herbal story short after about six months he was cycling to the clinic and he was able to climb up the stairs and um, he still had the problem if he wasn't taking the medicine he, all the symptoms would come back. all right when he started talking after that six months, he started telling me about his grandson who was about to go down the mines because that was the only job. And he was really concerned because of what the mines had done for him. That gave me permission to start talking about ec- ecology and stuff, which I would never do with a, a patient otherwise. And again, cutting a whole long story short, within a year, he was the president of the South Wales Friends of the Earth. Um, And last time I saw him, it was on television, um, debating somebody from the coal board, full on by the government in England. And this man from the coal board was arguing that, you know, we're doing the best, we're cutting back on air pollution. And this patient of mine, all he had to do was just wheeze, just make sure he coughed a bit. And The cameras and the the microphone would pick it up and everybody believed him because there was this real world-speaking miner who was in Friends of the Earth telling the government they were going to kill his grandson and the government had to do something about it. But what it all came down to was his experience with the herbal medicine that, paraphrasing his words, he got one day that the stuff in his garden could have cured or treated his emphysema, even though they weren't the right herbs, he was aware enough that herbs plants, green things were what were making him better and yes, they did that, but look, the factory was killing off the things in his garden because of the air pollution, so it was his experience of his improvement that turned him into a green activist he would never have listened to me ranting. It was his body and his insight. and I've seen that happen a number of times. If you want to get somebody um, want to get a vote for green issues, find somebody with a stomach ulcer, cure it with herbs, and you've got to vote for the green issues Mm -hmm. because it's self-interest. That goes against everything I believe in. It shouldn't be self-interest. Everybody should get it spontaneously. We should be at one with the environment. But that's not where most people are at. So um, I, I really feel that the more we can enable alienated people in the West to get in their own time and in their own way the way in which plants nurture them. When people get that insight, everything changes in their life. It's the biggest contribution I think we can make, and it's not something that we, the herbalist, has to work at. The person's going to get it when they're ready. What we need to do is make available to people in this strange end of twentieth, beginning of twenty first century period, where the system thinks it killed off herbalism. It thought it got rid of us, and we're back. And we're being incredibly subversive simply by turning people on to making metal tea. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We're empowering people again. And actually, that's all we need to do. They don't need to listen to anything we say. We don't need to say anything to them. People being, um, being pointed at herbs And then if they take that opportunity, the herb and their inner self will mutate them. Um, They'll be moved in the right direction.
0: So people become activists of the earth and natural health care by just simply doing it in their day-to-day life.
1: Exactly, exactly. I I really, I'm no longer... Politically active the way I I used to be now I think the most politically active thing I can do is give people a cup of herb tea. <laughs>
0: Love it,
1: and I, I it works often. Thanks. Of course, for some of the fascists in this country, I, I would select my herb very carefully. Right. um But yeah, I I trust the herbs. I I trust the green enough. Um. You know herbal activists don't burn out political activists do
0: well i, I have oh. a new I have a new party i've am gonna start it's called the Wild Foods Party, and what you mm. do is you invite your friends over for a wild foods potluck yeah so i'm I'm thinking that in this election year you know I think we can make a big difference yeah
1: yeah yeah <laughs> um, actually, Barack Obama drinks herb tea We, you know, I think. <laughs> huh. I won't take that any further. <laughs> but strangely, it's the, the the biggest opposition to herbal availability in Congress is the Democratic Party for all sorts of weird historical reasons. Um, it's always been difficult for me to get a handle on that one. But that's not what we're talking about now.
0: So. <laughs> oh, we could we'll get into that sometime. Um, yep. so I wanted to ask you, um, before I, um, you know, um, a couple of direct questions from some folks, yep. uh, on, um, on our mentor, we do a different, um, uh, herb every month that we, that we study. We have the herb of the month and then people just at, however they're inspired, try to learn about that herb through actually using it somehow, whether dried or if they can pick it fresh, that's the best of course, and do things. So uh, we have calendula. We're studying this month, yeah. and elder next month. So I was wondering if you had any insights on, you know, based on your relationship with these plants. Yes,
1: especially about the uh, calendula. Calendula is is used in rather different ways in in Europe than it is in the U.S. Oh. It's not really thought of as a topical herb. It, it is, but it's it's that's a very secondary thought. Um, and by the way, um, it's usually combined with St. John's work for wound healing and reducing inflammation topically, wonderful combination. Um, it's used internally as an anti-inflammatory and primarily a lymphatic system anti-inflammatory. Used in, in, in a very similar way to Cleaver's, And um, I really recommend people reading up on that. The place where you find most about that is in German books. Um, So if you don't read German, um, go to some of the German herb company websites, all of which are in English as well as German. And sometimes they have um, their older guidebooks practitioner books just translated into english and you'll find what i mean otherwise look at the writings of english herbalists on calendula it really is a wonderful herb internally with one thing people have to remember Um, the yellow color of calendula petals is not flavonoid it's uh, related to um of oh, the curcumins and, and vitamin A, very big, long molecules, and it doesn't extract well in water. So if you look at the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia on Calendula, it says you need 95%, sorry, 90% alcohol as the extraction vehicle. Wow. Which sort of makes no sense at all, unless you get that it's this weird chemical, because for petals, you know, alcohol is going to extract normally everything. But I I didn't believe this. And when I first started, I I made extracts of calendula at different percentages of alcohol. And up until 80%, they all look the same, nice, pleasant calendula color. Once you get above 80%, there's chemically what's called a phase change. And it's like you suddenly get liquid sunlight. It's totally different. Um just a, a really beautiful colour, and it's because that those dyes don't come out, not dyes sorry those, those colour molecules don't come out um, they just don't like water. so people should experiment't don't, don't just believe me or believe the Europeans because on the whole um, just because it's from Europe, you shouldn't believe it and just because it's from Germany, you shouldn't believe it. Uh, But in this case, I think yes, Um, there's there's something in there. Um, I don't think calendula internally has much to offer as an antifungal or Mm anti-yeast. Topically, it does. I think some of the claims I've seen made for uh, internal effects that way. I I don't think the body makes. The important constituents bioavailable enough internally, but topically it's excellent. It's, it's like St. John's Wood. I really don't think it's much of an antiviral internally, but topically it really is.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. We, cause we had great success with the top calendula topically with thrush when oh, our yeah. first child and that was the only thing that yeah. worked. Yeah.
1: Um, it's really, really good. You, you, but then don't extrapolate from that and think, If you take this 90% tincture internally, you'd get internal equivalent clearance. It it doesn't work that way. I
0: see. Okay. So, uh, what about where the the
1: pharmacology comes in? You know, it's just bioavailability issues. You can't make the body do something it doesn't want to do. You can help the body do something it's struggling to do. But herbally, you can't make it go against its own grain. That's called toxicity.
0: That's hmm. That's 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 that's. A, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, how about uh elder?
1: Elder. Yeah. Um. In England, the elder tree is all the old words imply. The whole tree is a medicine chest, and actually, you can use every different part of it. I think other than the heartwood, I'm not sure of a use for that. But you know, bark, leaves. Um, flowers, and berries. But the berries, I've only used, it in, used them in two ways. Well, One is, is for um, making the best wine you can Me make. Me too! <laughs> Elderberry wine is just outrageous. But apart from that, um, it really does seem to increase resistance to um, getting the flu. Mm. It really does seem to work. Um, I've seen it and people I've tried it with, and, and the research on it is really good. Do
0: you use the wine for that?
1: No, uh, uh,
0: <laughs> I've always you wondered probably,
1: that. You know, you probably could because the lectins would be in the wine, but the amount, ima- that's a lot of wine. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. you wouldn't have the flu, but then you, your liver wouldn't like it. <laughs> so it's probably inappropriate. Um, but otherwise, the, the whole elder tree, um, I really recommend. Mrs. Grieve, as her entry on Elder, if you use her usage things as sort of chapter headings, she really does cover what you can do with it. You can take it all a lot further than she covers it. But um, all the things that she claims for Elder are totally legitimate.
0: Excellent. I always wondered that about the wine and and uh, and all. So, but a lot of people seem to just you know make remedies with the berries tinctures. I mean, I was thinking people who take a tincture of the berries it didn't seem that much different than the wine to me.
1: Um, there may be a dosage difference, yeah. uh, and we. The lectins, which are, the, are supposedly the important constituents, as far as I remember, and if any of your people are a chemist, they may say I'm immediately wrong. But I don't think the lectins would break down in fermentation, mm-hmm. so they should still be in the wine.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, um, um, so, you're, so so people want to take it for anti-flu; they're taking it as a whole plant tincture.
1: Well oh, no, no, it would be the berry tincture. The berry if they're tincture. taking it as a preventive, preventive. I, um if if it's a really deep coloured elderberry wine, they probably could get away with that. However, I have no idea whether this <laughs> will work for the bird flu if that ever happens. <laughs> exactly. Because that's different issues.
0: Whole different issue together. Um so, you know, before we kinda wrap it up here, because we're nearing at that point and we will be talking a while and uh Yeah. Um <clears throat> I okay, guess I'll just take um, because I've kind of been weaving people's various questions into our into what we talk. So most of them have actually been answered, um, <laughs> and uh, and you've just naturally been knowing what to you know answering that. Um, but one person, um just, take, just to take one specific ailment of uh, question, and wants to know about shingles, and a person who gets it so bad she's unable to function. And they'd love to be able to get help. So herbally or like how would this person approach helping her shingle. You say before people should have a teacher, does this mean this person should find a practitioner, a ND? Well, Well, if,
1: it, if it's bad, yes. Um, because it it depends where it is and if it gets if it's in any of the um the cranial nerves that needs to be watched really carefully because it can end up damaging eyesight and hearing. Mm-hmm. But if its in the legs or the trunk um oh, it doesn't necessarily need um a skilled diagnostician but um but still they you know somebody who knows the issue should just just check the older the person, the more difficult it is to get it back into. Abounds. Wow. Um, the the virus that causes shingles, most people carry with them all the time um, because of chickenpox. So, I'm not going to give you treatments. What I'm going to give you are some ideas which will be symptomatic relief. Uh-huh. The treatment has to really has to be in the context of who that person is, and, and a full treatment is going to involve a practitioner who can follow up those issues. But the, the very characteristic really bad pain of shingles, um, there are two simple things which can cut it down dramatically. The first one um, is straight peppermint oil, totally undiluted. The strongest, purest peppermint oil you can find. Um, now, if, if you can dab that on without the person screaming too much, um, that is a topical anesthetic to that sort of nerve pain. Hmm. The person won't believe it while you're putting it on because it hurts. But within a minute, it will numb. Um, well, not numb, at the, the, the pain den, so you've still got sensation. The, the only drawback with that is that everybody in the neighborhood knows that you've got peppermint well on you. And, um, you know, it, it gets strong after a while. The other way um, doesn't involve that problem. It involves a slightly different problem. And this is using uh, what's called colloidal oatmeal. Do I need to spell that? Um, um t- actually you uh, you can't make this at home. This is not um a colloid is a very, very, very finely pow- powdered powder or ground powder mm-hmm. and it involves technology that you just cannot do yourself. Mm-hmm. Um so luckily there's a company and I don't have shares in the company and normally I never mention companies, but thank God in this case, um a company called Aveno, or sorry, a product called Aveno, A V. E-E-N-O and if you use that stuff the powdered stuff not not the lotion but the powder as a dusting powder instead of talc um, clothes don't hurt and sheets in bed at night don't hurt Mm. and that brings about an incredible improvement in the person's quality of life beyond that I don't want to say because they're they're not treatments for shingles you have to treat the person because you can't kill shingles you're not going to be able to get rid of the shingles what you've got to do is persuade it to go back to sleep so to speak and that involves dealing with the person's physiological stress a whole bunch of issues Uh, a very important herb there actually is oat Um, oat Tincture as the core nerve tonic is really crucial. Mm-hmm. But still, that's not a treatment for shingles. That, that's the tonic around which I would build the treatment.
0: Okay. okay. Well, and
1: um, you, you, there was a question that you sent me uh, from somebody who'd heard me speak at Iowa um, about shingles. Yes. Um And the, the local recipe. No, I never found out what was in it.
0: Okay, okay, I was going to ask you next because that was (laughs) it. Yeah,
1: no, because all the people died. Um, (laughs) You know, I, I just locked into the last generation of people who knew this stuff and just. When I got to the point of trying to ask the details, they weren't around anymore. Oh. The core issue was that the man who knew the recipe, which had been handed down for generations, he hated hippies, and he hated the English, and I was the competition. So English hippie herbalist, There was no way he was going to talk to me. So I had to find out the details second, third hand and I couldn't get the details because one of the person, there were 15, 16 things in the mixture, and I actually found the person who collected the herbs for him, and unfortunately she was one of these people who, you know, there are some people who plant that either the oak tree or there's grass, and they, they can't see anything else. They just don't have the ability to tell the difference, and unfortunately she was one of these people. Oh. And she would just go out with him, and he'd point at what she had to bend over and pick up. Mm. So was well, she not the most? Well, let me put it this another way: the Celts are the most sexist people I've ever come across. So she was just doing the hard work for him, and, and couldn't recognise anything other than this one herb she had to collect off a roof, and because there, were only, there was only this one herb that grew on the roof. I could identify it, and it's this plant that's not in any of the medicine books, yeah. called Biting Stone Crop. Uh-huh. And it may well be that that has something going for it, but <laughs> without knowing all the other constituents,
0: I just don't want to say. Yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting, how we, how we need to, uh, keep the wisdom of our generations going so that things don't yeah. get lost like that again.
1: Yeah, it, what happened in Wales, sort of, 20, 30 years before I got there is now, well, maybe 100 years before I got there, is now happening in the rainforest. The the children of the people who know the stuff aren't interested, and it's sort of dying out because there's nobody to pass it on to. Oh, It's happening all over the world.
0: Well, um, speaking of passing things on... um... You're doing work with California School of Herbal Studies, and that's where people oh, yeah. can study with you. I mean, do you do a lot of the teaching there?
1: Um, I I do. Um, yes, yeah, I do. Um, but they they have real herbalists who teach plant ID and growing and medicine making. I mean, nobody lets me teach medicine making anymore because we, we, we're doing this one class at a big thing in the, in San Francisco uh, and I was co-teaching with Mindy Green, who some of your people might know about. She's, she's a really good aromatherapist and medicine maker. And she just asked me to do the lotion while she was preparing something else to demonstrate to people. So I was talking and showing how you did it. I turned on the blender, and I hadn't put the lid on. So I got covered in shit, and the first two rows were also covered. And it's all these San Francisco yuppies. who were just not happy with what I'd done. All the hippies were at the back. So I don't teach medicine making. We've got wonderful medicine makers and wonderful plant ID people. I I teach the – well, I co-teach the herbal therapeutics and then do a lot of the political, spiritual stuff with other people as well. I'm I'm really glad – that I'm not in my school. I, I have no interest in being a name, even though I am a name. You, see what I mean? so,
0: yeah, you um, can't avoid it when you write 17. But what's the 18th well, book you're working that's, on? That's
1: called Paying the Rent, you know. Right. <laughs> even though it didn't, that's a different issue. I I don't think it's appropriate for there to be famous herbalists right, at right. this stage of the game. So, um, you know, I... I up until this year, I've been doing a lot of traveling around the country, but I've come to the conclusion that, you know, it, we shouldn't be doing that. I, if people want to study, they should come to a place and be still, um, or I should go to a place and be there for four months. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there are lots of good teachers around now. So, but the best place to find me. Is going to be in Northern California,
0: and um, um, I always recommend that people find the closest herb shop or natural health food store that might know of one in their area. Yes. And it's always best to find somebody teaching near yeah, you.
1: Totally, that works just about everywhere. Um, the, the only place I hadn't been able to find local herbalists was some. I was in some weird place in North Dakota. <laughs> because of a plane issue, um, and there weren't any herbalists anywhere near, but just about every other state, the first thing I do when I'm in somewhere near is go to a herb store and just hang out, look at the bulletin board, and, um, yeah, you'll find people. Right. And they, herbalists who are doing local classes know their limitations, and um, they will usually tell people which other teachers to go to for certain things. And because... Well, I think after a basic training, it's up to the herbalist at the moment in this country to do classes with as many different teachers as possible, and mm-hmm. um, not become a follower.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, be very broad.
0: Yes, that's that's excellent advice. Go, you
1: know, go go to the International Herb Symposium or the Herbalist Guild Conference whenever it happens. Like next year's is going to be. Oh no! This year's is in Washington.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, it's it's literally um, that it's it's three blocks from my acupuncture clinic.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, good. I'll be there. (laughs) But there, there you'll be able to see the difference between, and this is just an observational thing, not a criticism. The difference between the naturopathic phytotherapists Mm -hmm. and the more old-time herbalists who become modern. We, you know, the updating of the traditional stuff, or the scientifically dumbing down of the traditional stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, this is a big mixed bag of folks who are teaching yeah. too. Because so.
1: I, I, totally support the naturopathic schools. Theoretically, I'm on the faculty of Bastia, mm-hmm. but I don't go up there very much. I think they're doing a really good job, mm-hmm. but it's good they don't call themselves herbalists because they're not.
0: Right,
1: right. right. The phytotherapists.
0: Right. Exactly. They do have a botanical so, studies program, I think. Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: Well, their degree program in botanical studies is excellent.
0: Yeah. If
1: you look at what the um, doctor, the uh, naturopath students have to do, they miss out some of the core herbal skills and just mm-hmm. get into the medical side. Right. And right. It, it's, it just shows the world view. It's, it's really wrong. They're really missing it. Oh, I think I might have to go.
0: Oh, it's that perfect timing because uh, that's right where we're at, and um, and you know I I just can't uh, thank you enough. I know we could speak forever, but uh, we'll, we'll have to have you back sometime on here. Oh,
1: and, and next time let's get really specific about something rather than yeah. letting me ramble.
0: Well, and um, you know I'll have I'll have uh, my people talk to your people, and we'll uh, yes,
1: there you go, <laughs> and then we can do lunch.
0: <laughs> David, David, a joke. David Hoffman it's been an honor and thanks so much
1: alright bye
0: bye Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio, copyright LearningHerbs.com, all rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.